Merry Christmas, everybody. And Merry Christmas to all of you who are online and all of you in Proximity Hall. We're so excited to be together for this celebration. My name is Kathy Connor, and I am so honored to be one of the pastors here at First Press. And you know what? Instead of saying, look what the world is coming to right now, we get to say, Look what has come to the world in the birth of Jesus. It is my hope that in this next hour, you will be able to celebrate and that as a result, it will bring you closer to the one who came to be closer to you through going deeper in your faith by discovering what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, perhaps for the first time. If you are new to First Pres, welcome. We're delighted that you're here. And we ask that you would go online after worship and fill out a Connect card, which you can get to by accessing this QR code. It will take you directly to the Connect card. That way, we can help you get connected into a life group, how to serve, pray for you, and more. For those of you online, if you'll share the service on Facebook, then we can invite others to worship with us on Christmas Eve as well. This is also the perfect time for those of you who are online to go and grab what you need for communion. Eggnog, juice, water, cookies, cake, crackers, anything will work. We also invite you to grab a flashlight or a small candle so that together when we sing Silent Night, we will all be candle lit. Please pray with me now. Good and loving Father, help us to receive into our hearts the most important gift of all, the gift of your Son to us, so that we might sing with the angels, rejoice with the shepherds, worship like the wise men did. Lord, I pray that Christmas will make us all happy to be your children, so that we will walk in gratitude and thanksgiving for your Son who came to rescue us and restore our relationship with you and with each other. Father, we pray for those that we know and love who are grieving, who are lonely, who are desperate and without hope, knowing and trusting that you are Emmanuel, God with us, as near as our breath. Lord, we also pray for friends who are dealing with circumstances that are so overwhelming, we pray right now for Woody Davis, waiting for a heart transplant, but dealing with so many physical complications to get him there. Oh, great physician, care for him now. And Jesus, we ask for your loving arms to be wrapped tightly around those we know who have lost loved ones in recent days and for whom Christmas is so very painful. 
We pray also for those we know and love who don't yet know that they are treasured by you, loved by you, cherished by you. Use us, Lord, to be a light in their life, just as you have done for us. In your loving name we pray this Christmas Eve. Amen. Merry Christmas, First Pres. We are so glad that you're here and our Savior, he is born, he is alive, and he is worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise. So please stand with me as we sing and celebrate his birth.
love birthdays. Raise your hand if you love them too. Oh, yeah. And I'm so ready. But I need to get some of the children ready. If there are any children here, you have my permission to stand on the pews with your parents holding you tight, just in case. But stand up. I want you to be able to see everything. It's hard to see from where you are. There you go. Absolutely. Okay, I've got my birthday balloons. I have my birthday party dress on with a Christmas tree on it because, of course, it's a Christmas birthday. And I even have the most delicious, yummiest cookie cake imaginable. Of course, Frosty the Snowman is on here. Again, Christmas birthday. And it says, happy birthday. Yes, it says, happy birthday, Jesus, on here. Now, there's one more thing left for us to do. If you could give Jesus a gift for his birthday, what would you give him? I've taken the liberty of coming up with a list of items that you might consider. What I want to invite you to do, this is for the adults and the children, is yell, yay, really loud when you like the item that I'm suggesting you give Jesus. All right? You ready? So we're going to pull it up. This is the first one, a toy. What about a toy? for? I thought you'd say that. The next one, candy. Yum, it's getting better and better. How about a soccer ball? Yes. My favorite one that everyone loves on their birthday, a brand new bike. Yeah, of course. And one more that I think he would really love, and that is your love. You know what I think? I think. If you gave Jesus any of these things or anything else you came up with, he would love it because it came from you. But I also know he would really like especially the part where you give him your love, your friendship, and your heart. He would love all those things, but especially that one, right? Now for the best part, the part where we get to light some candles, sing happy birthday, and we're going to do that while I'm lighting these candles so that we can show him our love. I'm going to invite the parents to help their children light the candles they received when they came in. So here I come. I'm going to get Fitz to hold the birthday cake. Don't even think about eating it. And we're going to light some candles. All right, are you lighting yours? We are going to have so much fun in just a minute. You always have to light the candles first, right? And then the birthday person gets to make a wish. I'd rather not set my arm on fire. And one more, the cake. Now what we're going to do with the children standing up in the pews, standing up in the pews, the children up, up, up in the pews, we are going to, you're going to wave your candles while we sing a Christmas version of Happy Birthday with sleigh bells and we're going to have some fun. You ready? Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday.
I tell you what, Jesus was born to be the light of the world, and he wants us to light the world with his love. So right now, I want the children to wave their candles one more time and let your light shine bright for Jesus. Amen.
God gave his greatest gift to us on that first Christmas day. So at Christmas, we celebrate the gift of giving. But I want you to know that your overflowing compassion and generosity has released overflowing blessing in countless numbers of lives. So here are five ways that you can continue to bless lives with the hope of Jesus, Bethlehem's babe. Please stand with us. Yeah. 
came to church on Christmas Eve and the pastor, the lead pastor, is wearing a t-shirt wishing you Merry Christmas from the Griswolds. Huh? What a motley crew of misfits are the Griswolds. Huh? I'm going to remind you of a few details of the greatest Christmas dinner portrayed in the history of cinematography. You ready? Clark W. Griswold Jr. at the head of the table. And we know about Clark. Clark gets real excited and then he gets deeply disappointed. And when the disappointment happens, he goes a little volatile and loses his cool. It happens multiple times in the movie, including the Christmas table scene. Yes, it most certainly does. And his wife, the adoring and faithful Ellen, just rides it all out with him. And there are two kids, Russ Griswold, who admires his father. But Audrey, the other kid, kind of an agitated teenager, is she not? Yeah, you remember her? Yeah, and there they are all at the table. Our favorite, Cousin Eddie. So just so you know, full disclosure, if you were to go and open my laptop, right? I mean my uh, iPad right now, you would find Cousin Eddie, Christmas vacation, in the white bathrobe, standing outside the RV, holding a Lowenbrow, emptying his toilet. That's how I greet myself every morning. And on we go around the table. So Cousin Eddie has this adoring, but she's embarrassingly oblivious, his wife, Catherine, right? They're at the table. And on go, their two children, Rocky, who has some kind of lip fungus that hasn't yet been determined what it is, and Ruby Sue, who was kicked in the head by a mule once, and her eyes went cross, and now she's kicked back, and they're off straight again. All this is happening. Are you beginning to remember it and enjoy what kind of a mess these people are? But don't forget Uncle Lewis. Remember him with the lid, the sky piece of hair, and he sets Clark's Christmas tree on fire with a cigar, and he's kind of a mean guy. He doesn't even care. And his wife, Aunt Bethany, who's 80 and who is stone cold death and starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance when they ask her to give the blessing for the meal. Eddie, by the way, you remember, stands and puts his, heart over, his hand over his heart during the pledge. Misfits, all of them. The parents of both Clark and um, Ellen are there, but my favorite, perhaps, you haven't even thought of this yet, I'm going to trick you here, Snots the Rottweiler. Do you remember him at the table seeing what happens? Clark looks because he hears this noise. It sounds like coughing. The table is shaking. This big dog is underneath their Christmas dining room table. And Clark says, Eddie, is there a problem? He says, Nah, it's all right. He's just yakking up a bone. Then you hear the dog barking, and Eddie says, Yeah, it's out now. How do you want that tomorrow at your meal? A motley crew of misfits. Yes, they are. And we're just having a little fun. But it's beginning to help us see what this is all about, this fantastic message that was so beautifully portrayed in that song that we have just sung. We're all invited to the table. And so we want you to think about Christmas as a table to which you've been invited by the birth of the Messiah, which the central candle in the wreath here rec recognizes today is the birth of the Messiah day. Here's a table here. And this table is the table of Jesus, and we remember it. It's the table he set the night before he was crucified, the Last Supper, we sometimes call it. And behind me 
It's kind of a more modern table. It's, it's here to, to express our Christmas decorations, etc. But it's a table which I want you in your mind to realize you and I, motley crew of misfits, we might be, there's a seat for us at the table. In fact, you're being invited. I'm being invited by the Messiah who comes into the world today. We're being invited to sit at the table of the banquet of the king of the universe. And that's what Christmas is about. The Messiah who comes into our lives, into our world, and he invites us to be in relationship with him. And it's like a great meal. It's like this meal. In some ways, it's even like those misfits gathered in that great movie. And let's do this. Let's look at another group of people who are kind of roughed up like the Griswold clan, kind of misfits, and watch them encounter the breaking into the human condition, breaking into history of the Messiah. This comes from the Gospel of Luke. A gospel is sort of like a biography. This is Luke's telling us about the birth of Jesus, and we're going to see the verses in chapter 2 about Jesus being born. And what we're going to see here is another collection of people who are pretty roughed up, and they're kind of a bunch of crew of misfits, and yet all of them have been invited, as have you, as have I, to this table, this expansive, add another chair. There's lots of ways to add leaves to the table of the banquet of the king, Christmas, the celebration of God breaking into our world. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to read several verses in it. <clears throat> in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Just reminding you of who Caesar is. This is the emperor of Rome, the most powerful man in the world. And the Roman Empire expanded all over the place, including into what we know as the Eastern Mediterranean, where the Jewish people were then and are now, that part of the world, Israel. And so Caesar collects taxes, head taxes. And so he needs a, a true count, so they have a census. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the last verse in this slide says, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, this is not fun. These are working people, and it's really hard for them to have their lives interrupted, and they are sick and tired of the boot of Rome on the back of their neck, and they do not like paying this tax, and the corruption along with the tax collected and the corruption of the people collecting it, put, skimming off the top for themselves. They've had it. And they're regular people, hardworking people, and they're beat up people. This is really hard. It's not easy for them. So they're roughed up. And so we see a, this next part of the story. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Joseph, we know him as being Mary's husband. He's not yet married to her, but Joseph is a regular working guy, has to go from from Nazareth in Galilee, that's up here in Israel, to Bethlehem, which is down closer to Jerusalem down here. He has to travel. He doesn't have any money. It's hard to travel. It's cold. People are traveling. It's not easy. He feels beat up by Rome and by this requirement to be counted. So off Joseph goes, faithful as he is. He belongs in the lineage of David, the great king of Israel. Therefore, he has to go to David's birthplace in order to be counted. And now look what happens next. We're adding to the company of people who are kind of misfits, kind of motley, and also who are very roughed up. He went there to register with Mary. Watch what happens here. 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Ooh, not good. In that culture, a person to be pregnant outside of marriage brought shame on the person who, and social banishment. It's hard for us to understand that, but that's the case. And so Joseph has been shamed because of Mary's condition, though Joseph knows he's not the father of that child, and Mary knows that also. And there they go, experiencing what it means to get pushed out because in the eyes of people watching, what they've done is inexcusable. So Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to be counted, and while we're there, while they're there, it comes time for her to have the baby. And so she gives birth to her firstborn, a son. She wraps him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So the difficulty, the kind of, kind of roughed upness, the motley crewness of this, the misfit. Here, you know what this means? It means likely that because in towns they didn't have hotels. It's just not the way that culture worked. And people in Israel at the time had tiny little houses. Oftentimes there'd be two floors, and upstairs is where the family would stay, and maybe you'd have a second room upstairs, and that would be the guest room. And down below is where you had one, you, you ate, but also there was an ability to get into another room that was adjacent that would have been where you brought your animals in to get them out of the cold at night. Maybe even that room would have been like a cave up, up against a hill, like a, a curved out area. Not, nothing like our homes. And here's what's going on. It says manger. What this means is the kid was put in a feeding trough because that's all that was there. And perhaps the people, though hospitality was a rich part of their culture, perhaps there was also the shame and the banishment. And the family just said, you're not staying up here with us, but you can have the room where otherwise the animals would be. You getting it? It's not the picture perhaps you came in tonight to expect to hear. And it's just the way the world was. And so that's the condition into which the Savior gets born into our world. That's how he was born, wrapped and in a food trough. Because it says here there was no guest room available to them. And again, this is about uh, individual family residence and the nature of how they were designed. So we go to verse 8. There were shepherds living in the fields nearby. Shepherds were people, I think the best way to think of shepherds would be minimum wage kind of people that weren't thought of as being the kind of people you consult to get business help or if you wanted any kind of counseling about how to raise your children or really anything. Maybe even look down on because that's what they did. It's not, it's not a nice thing to say what I'm saying. But that's who shepherds were. Now, begin to see that this is funny, except it's really the portrayal of what's going on in this story. Kind of this mess of people so far, everybody seems like they're getting life is hard on them, roughed up. Maybe you came into this room tonight roughed up. I feel kind of roughed up. It's been hard, and it's been particularly hard for many of us, has it not? And there's fear, and there's uncertainty. And there's sorrow and there's loss. And really, almost all of us have felt that. So I'm inviting you. It's okay to feel a little bit roughed up because it's been really hard. And into this roughed up experience as these people are having, these shepherds we hear are watching and 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, you trust me, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the word angel is angelos, and it means messenger. Let go of the thing about wings and the little halo. Let that one go. This means messenger, a messenger from whom the almighty God of the universe and who is supplying the content of the message? The almighty God of the universe. And so when messengers show up, it's scary. I mean, if you're a regular person who, who believes in God and you think God has showed up through this special being, you're beginning to be scared. It's frightening because the brightness and the goodness and the bigness and the magnificence of God right there in front of you through this messenger kind of person. And that's what these uh, minimum wage kind of dudes encounter out there in the fields. And the, this messenger appears to him. It says in the text, look carefully, the glory of the Lord shone about them. I think what that means is it's just this big, awesome expression of God's power and magnificence. And light probably is a part of it. Shone. It's bright and scary. So here are these guys being included in this story. They didn't ask for this, but they're, somehow the, the angel of God sent them to talk to the, these shepherds. They're terrified. And the angel says, boys, don't be afraid. So when God speaks through messengers, always it scares people. And always the messenger says back, don't be afraid. Because I have really, really great news for you. And look at the, what's going to happen. Ah, don't be afraid. I have great news that's going to cause great joy. Do you see any joy in this picture yet? I don't. I just see a bunch of misfits who are scared and lost and aggravated and some of them are ashamed and some of them are afraid of, the, of what's going to happen when they get found out. A pregnant woman who had a baby and she's not married. Oh, it's a mess. They're roughed up. You're roughed up. I'm roughed up. But there's really, really, really great news. And you know what happens when the great news starts getting celebrated? Wow, it breaks out like the music we just sang. Come to the table. What a great song. We're being invited. Circumstances are going to continue to be what they're going to be. But we're being invited to pull up a chair with the king and have a great meal. That's what this is about. That's what Christmas is about. So... The, the, this is going to be the sign. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And look what happens next. This is how you're going to know you got the right kid. This will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped up. That's how what you did with babies. You wrapped them up. Nothing new, unusual there. But lying in a manger. In other words, these shepherds, wherever they are, they're going to leave there and they're going to go to Bethlehem. They're going to look around, find a new baby. And the one that's in the feeding trough, that's the one. And guess what? That's what happens. So the, message is, the messenger's message is validated by the shepherds going into Bethlehem and finding it as they had said. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's what everybody's singing and yelling. In other words, what I think happens is the messengers come, they give this message, and the place breaks out an unbelievable song, like a big band like this one, and just let's go. And they're kicking it, and they're having a blast, singing, just Yay! This is unbelievable because it's rough out there and you are going to do something about it, God. So that's what's happening here. The angels leave, the messengers leave, the shepherds, they take off back to being at home with God in heaven. Shepherds saying to each other, man, what just happened? Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's check it out, this thing which we've been told about. So they hurried off and guess what they find? Mary and Joseph and the baby lying where? 
in a feeding trough. In other words, validation. Somehow, miraculously, they're told that's what it's going to be. That's how you're going to know you've got the right, the right kid. They go into town, and there the kid is, just as they're being told. Verse 18, everybody's hearing about this. Everybody's amazed. And Mary, look what she does, just treasures it. That's what you do, Mom. You treasure it. And that's what's happening here. The shepherds go back to work, verse 20, and they just are, they're hooting and hollering and dancing and singing. It's what you do when you hear a great song that helps you connect with God and you just sing it. That's what they're doing here. That's what this word means, glorifying God and praising God. And they're just so excited they're telling everybody about it. That's what's happening here. So what, what we have to realize, friends, what you and I have to realize is that we're being invited and it's now our move. It's your move. And here's how we portray that, using the image of a, a trapeze artist. So on the wall comes this fantastic image. Take a look at it. My guess is that the very first thing your eye is drawn to is the woman who is suspended, but she's not holding on to anything. If you look carefully, you'll see the swing that she was on a minute ago is there below her. And all of us usually when we go to the circus and we watch the trapeze stuff, our eyes are on the flyer because they do somersaults and they do all this gymnastics in the air and it's awesome what they do. But guess what? The flyer is pointing us to the catcher. This woman suspended in air, you know what she knows? You know what she's confident about? As hard as this may have been for her to get to the place where she, she's confident she's going to be caught the catcher awaits her. And that's what's going on with you and me. Roughed up people. Motley, if you feel that way. Maybe you feel like a misfit. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe there's been some kind of loss in your life, relational loss or financial loss. It's been really hard. And it's our move. We're flyers. But what we're being asked to do is trust the catcher. And the catcher is the almighty God of the universe who has broken into our world in the birth of a little baby whose life started in a feed trough. But he can and he will catch us. Here's what Christmas helps us know in a way that gives us confidence or, or assurance. Not self-confidence, not self-assurance, I don't mean it that way. I mean assurance and confidence that comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. It comes from a person. And the person is Jesus. Here's what we want to know that Christmas makes clear for us. The birth of the baby makes it really clear for us. It's this. That God is near. It's the meaning of the name we see in the New Testament, Emmanuel. God with us. God is with us. The baby is born. And into our lives comes a human being. He's close. He's not far away. It may sometimes seem like God is way distant and has abandoned us. But no, Christmas proves that God is near us. And God is near enough to catch us, not too far away from the flyer. There's another thing that Christmas can assure us of. And that's this, that God is able to catch us, strong enough to catch us. How do we know that? We know that because we know what's coming of April, on April 4th, 2021, Easter Sunday. 
Jesus Christ is going to grow up. He's going to be a man. He's going to live a life. He's going to love people. He's going to heal people. But he's going to be executed. But there's going to be a powerful, mighty act of God. Death itself is going to be defeated in the power of the resurrection. Oh, yeah. Is he strong enough to catch you? He is. And he will. It's still our move. But he'll do his part. So God's presence, he's close enough. God's strong enough. He's powerful enough. He can and is able to catch us. And here's the other thing we really know is true because of, Easter, because of Christmas. God wants to catch us. He so much wants to catch us. His goodness. All of the motivation for all of this is God's great love for us. And that's what's broken out on Christmas morning. That's what we now know is true. God loves us and God came to rescue us and there's evil and there's sin and there's brokenness and there's death in the universe and it's all fixed by the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what's happening, my friends, and it's still our move. And what's our move? Trapeze flyer. You let go of you holding on to your life and grab to the outstretched hands of the catcher. We can trust the catcher. So I, I step down here just to help us remember what this means. This table, what it's about. This table is the body, and it's the blood of Jesus. And it's, it's simple and powerful and good and near. That's what's happening here. Jesus said, my body broken for you. I can and I will take care of you. You can trust me. Trust, trust the catcher. And the blood of Jesus spilled for you and for me. It's, it's the almighty God of the universe breaking in, inviting us to the banquet table and saying, when you drink this, what you've done is you've chosen to let go of your life and grab a hold of me and let me be the new security, the new center of your life. When we eat and when we drink, friends, we're trusting the catcher. That's the meaning of this great celebration. What's going to happen now is the ushers are going to tell you, you're going to come forward, you're going to take one of these, you're going to return to your seat without opening it, and then we're going to open together, all of us, the bread side of it, and then we'll open all of it together, the juice side of it, and just for housekeeping, there are little bowls on the floor for you to, to dispense. So again, you're going to be invited to come forward. And once you do that, return to your seat and then we'll all take the bread and then take the juice together. Come to the table.
each of, each of us together, beginning with the bread portion, which is the smaller at the top, this reminder. Jesus knows what it's like to be roughed up, the body of Jesus. The fully human Jesus was also fully divine. And so spilling his blood for us sets loose the power of the resurrection in the universe and in your life. The blood of Jesus. Allow me to pray for us. We thank you, gracious God, that you are near us. You are plenty able to rescue us. And so much you want to, your heart overflowing a love for us. Thank you that when we take part in this meal, what we've done is we've said, yes. What we've done is we've said, I want a seat at the table. What we've done is we've said, I want to let go of holding on and controlling my life, and I'm going to trust the catcher. Thank you, gracious God, that Christmas means you have broken into our lives and the person of Jesus Christ, and we have a way to newness that simply wasn't something we could do for ourselves. We sing and we celebrate and we pray and we read and we do everything we do, all because the Messiah has given us life. In his name, amen. Friends, let me invite you now to stand as we sing Silent Night together.
power, the presence, and the goodness of God, welcome to the table. Merry Christmas. Don't. 